morning, Smithfield Baptist Church. I hope by this point you are somewhat familiar with my face. I hope people <laughs> can see who at least I am and why I'm here. Today, I want to bring forth a message that, like I always try to do, one that really speaks to me at this point, and one that truly digs into something I need to grow through. I found that I can't try to tell other people that this is a place we all need to grow collectively if I cannot say that to myself. So I want to maintain that platform today. What does it mean to live with true godly purpose? When we say godly purpose, do we think God's purpose is here on earth and how he moves? Do we think how we fit into that picture, how we fit into that plan and move forward? But let's start by asking another rather large question. What is the point, what is the reason for living our lives the way we do? This goes for believers and non-believers alike. What do you stand for? What is the purpose? Why do you live the way you live? I would say, and I can't speak for everyone in this room, that everyone here has a moral code they live by, right? They have rules that they either imposed upon themselves or their family imposed on them growing up that they believe are true and good and worthy of following, or they've raised their kids with those same values, right? That would be our purpose. That would be how we operate. So then do we tailor our lives to achieve certain long-term goals? Is our purpose to have this career goal come to fruition? This family goal, this many kids, this many kids go through college. Is it a travel goal? I have to make it to Ireland one day. Is that something that we cater our lives to purpose around? Some people plan from college how they're going to retire. That's their purpose. That's how they move through life. How often do we feel that we have lost sight of whatever purpose or whatever point we started out with? Maybe you did have a, this is my goal, this is where I want to be. And you get two years, five years, ten years down the career path, and you don't know what you're doing anymore. You're thinking, I'm just, I'm just burnt. Why am I doing this? Why am I here? It's just not fun anymore. It's not even fulfilling. Maybe the purpose, A, you've lost sight of what the purpose was in the first place, or B, we so often are never on the right track in the first place. But as believers, we have a great and powerful friend to pull us back onto that purpose. And in fact, he is that purpose. That's what we want to look through today. I want to explore what it means to live with that godly purpose. I want to look at two nuances in our passage today in Colossians. Colossians 1, 15 through 17, and then verses 21 through 23. So I would encourage you to open your scriptures, see for yourselves, because one thing I was taught through college, through everything around, you can have it up on the screen, you can trust your professor or your teacher or your pastor, you can trust they're going to say what they're going to say. But my professors always told me, open the scripture and read it for yourself. See that we didn't just pull this out of thin air. See that we got it from the source. So I always encourage people, open your scriptures. It is surprisingly easy to feel lost in our lives, in our long-term ideals, for all age groups. 
college students can graduate and feel like they can't even make a plan. They're just floundering in the water. They don't have uh, 401k. They don't have Social Security. They don't have insurance or all this stuff, and they feel like they're lost. They have no idea where to start. Retirees often go back to work because they faced boredom. They retired, and now what? If I don't have grandkids, I really don't have much to do. Middle-aged parents, when their children leave the house, you've spent 18, 20 years caring for these one or two or three or five things. <laughs> and then what happens? When they're gone, you're just, all of a sudden I have all this free time. And we think, man, free time sounds really great. Yeah, for about two weeks. <laughs> and then you're like, well, now what do I do? I took my big trip. I went on vacation. I got my house in order. I changed all the rooms around. Now what? <laughs> in the context of the big C church, when I say church, I always imagine with the big C, the body of believers, not the building, the people. How often do we lose sight of why we have faith and operate on that faith when we don't see immediate results? Sometimes we go through years and years of supposed drought where we work and we work and we work and we're faithful and we're here and then we don't see anything happening because of it. We don't see the point. But that's because we've lost sight of the purpose. We've lost sight of the mission. We may have the same task at church each week, but the joy may be flagging. It may be falling behind. Our passage today is one of remembering who God is in the first place, and who we are because of it. It reminds us of the goal and offers reassurances as well as the direction forward. Let's read then the first section of our text, Colossians 1, 15-17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. Right out of the gate, this is authority. This is the authority of Christ. An interesting tidbit, invisible God in the Greek text here means the personified divine wisdom of God. It is everything that makes up the glory and power and authority of God Almighty simply condensed into one human-sized package, which was Jesus Christ. So we think invisible God, that's kind of weird. I don't really understand that. What the Greek meant was what you can't see in God above and you have faith in was brought here for you to look at directly. He is the image of the invisible God. He created all things for his purpose. Look at verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, invisible and visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers, all things were created through him and for him. Where's the encouragement in that? The encouragement is, no matter where you live, no matter what job you have, no matter what family you have, God is ruling over that all. 
Jesus Christ has ruled over that all. Maybe you have a boss that just rides your back every day grinding after you. God is their master as well. Maybe it's the same thing you've been doing for 15 years, but he has controlled that process too. He has placed you there. Dominions and authorities, no matter how bad you think the state of the America or the world is getting, that has never been out of God's control. So you think, I go back to the college graduate situation. I'm entering a world, we're entering a world that seems like it's against us. All the housing markets, all the insurance stuff, all of the political trappedness. How many people have looked towards our political state and realized it's lesser of two evils? You kind of just have to pick which one sounds the less bad. That's not a very hopeful society to try to enter into on your own as an adult. But once again, God controls all of that. He has been put over all that. He created all of that. Dominions and rulers and authorities, everything. And that offers me peace. Because no matter how bad it gets, he's still in control. No matter how bad my life gets, he's still in control. The authority of God is never-ending. And it has always been. He came before it all, and he holds it all together. That's verse 17 and 18. Look through here again. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. Focus on for a second just the phrase, he is before all things. That means all all decisions, all choices, all paths. He has gone before us in our lives. He laid the footwork for us to follow, to choose which path to go on. It's like somebody said, hey, there's a gigantic maze in front of you, and at the end is the thing you've always wanted, right in the middle where you're trying to get. Good luck. And so you're trepidatious, you're worrying, you're kind of upset. I'm never going to get through this maze. This thing's huge. And you start, and on the first corner you see a little red arrow. And you're like, okay, I'm going to follow that arrow. And you get to the next corner, you see another little red arrow. And you may get to an intersection where there isn't an arrow. And you just have to pick. You have to choose which way to go. And when you get to the end of that corridor, there the other arrow lies. Our king has laid out our paths before us. Whitney reminds me all the time. I worry so much about making the right decision, making the right choice. I want to do what God finds me right for. I want to follow his guidance. I want to go everywhere that he says. And I'm waiting for that one specific moment of, aha, that's what he wants. And Whitney reminds me, yeah, he can do that. He, he may very well do that. But he might lay six options out in front of you. And not a one of them are bad. He just wants you to trust him and pick. We have the ability to step down the path God laid for us. And it's not always so cut and dry. That's the pain of it. But then we remember the authority of Christ. We remember the goodness that he controls this all for good. And we'll get to that in a second. Because make no doubt, he works all things together for his good. And he always has. And we'll get to that in a second. Lest we think he laid out a path that intended to harm us, let's look at the contrary. Because we hear the age-old standby of non-believers or visitors or friends that we may have gospel conversations with at work. Why did God hurt my family? 
Why did God take my family away from me? Why did God get me in a car wreck? Why did God do all of this bad to me? Blaming God for that may fall under, oh, yes, he's teaching you a lesson. But it always, always ultimately works for the good. And you can see that in Romans 8.28. You can look if you wish, but I have it right here. Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, there is a condition there for all those who believe he works together for the good of the kingdom. Now, does that mean that his hand is just permanently against non-believers and they're just in the pain forever? No. He wants to use the trials in their lives to bring him into this goodness. That's all he's ever done. That's all he's done to us. Even if we were saved at 8, 9, 10 years old in a VBS, the trials he puts us through through our lives are only to work for our good. And a lot of times, I didn't see that. Any of my experiences that I deemed bad or unhealthy or hurtful, I never saw the good come out of them because I forgot that he is over all things. He was before all things, and he works everything for my good. Now, you could argue as 10, 11, 15. I probably didn't understand that. But you will eventually come to that grace if you're willing to listen and you're willing to learn and accept the grace he has given upon us that we don't deserve. He is the only head of the church. He is our leader in all things. And we were just reminded that he is good. So we went through the life analogy how he makes what life work good for all things to our good in our lives. Let's look at the church side of it, the big C church. How many times do we go through all the effort to set up something big and grand or a VBS, and we're disappointed when we only get three kids, four kids show up a week? Instead of rejoicing that these children found a place that they can hear the gospel truth. How many times do we set up a dinner, a fellowship hall dinner, and we have mountains of leftover food, and we're like, I don't know what we're going to do with this, and we gripe that we have leftover food. What a beautiful picture that is that he has given and given and given to where we could eat till we pop. And yet, we sometimes fail to see that that is grace and that is good in the simple things in our life. He is the good head of the church. The pastor may lead, the speaker may lead a lesson, lead you through the gospel, but he is no more in charge than any of you. God is in charge and he always has been. He's a leader, he's a guide, yes, but he only points to Christ. Period. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So why does this first half help? It means that he has gone before us for our good, in all the choices that we have made, even with the bad choices, he has worked out for our good if we are content to believe in him and place our, save, our, place our faith in him so that he may save us. His believers have done nothing but receive grace. We may think he puts us through things to strengthen us like gold is purified by the fire, but it has only been grace. The old adage that if we all got we, what we deserve, there'd be not a one of us go to heaven. 
It was by grace of the king that all this has happened. We need to remember that when we think of our purpose. We're alive for that purpose. But we still may struggle with the actual goal, the actual purpose of living our lives. We know that he works for good, but what are we doing? Okay, yeah, he works for our good. Okay, what are we to do about it? How do we move forward? That's where verses 21 and 23 through 23 can shed some light. So let's read here today. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless, above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. What a beautiful picture of pulling us out of something that was harming us into something that we can work for. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind. Now you may have met plenty of non-believers who you would say are not alienated or hostile. They're good people, right? We hear that all the time as a possible reason to not follow as close as people should. I'm a good person. I don't need Christ. I'm a good person. But you're told right here that before we came to know the, the God of all creation, we were alienated and hostile to his purpose and ultimately to eternal salvation in heaven. The hostility comes from not understanding that he is the creator. He is the authoritative master. And you're not necessarily hostile as in going out in the streets and beating up Christians when you find them, but you're hostile and maybe you don't vote for against a legislation you know is going to hurt people or hurt what God stands for. Maybe the hostility is you keep your mouth quiet when somebody in your workplace is being bullied. If you're afraid of backlash, once again, God is over it all. Once again, God is the authoritative master. The true life-fulfilling purpose here lies with God as a believer. If we do not have God as our Savior, we are alienated, alienated from the only fulfilling purpose. Let's go all the way back to where I started here. Why do you do this? Why do you go to work? Why do you grind day in and out in your job? Because he has placed you there for a reason as a believer in Christ. The old adage, your life may be the only Bible someone ever reads, right? You're there for a purpose. And like I was saying before, you can choose to maybe come out of that purpose. Choose to abandon what you've done for 20 years. Choose to let go of children that have moved out of the house. Choose to do something radical after you retire. The purpose is still the same. The fulfilling grace of Christ is still the same. It does not change and it never will. We were once aliens to the true purpose, hostile to the good God lays out for those who love him. And we see that in verse 21. Read it here with me again. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, 
he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. That is the resurrection power, right? In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. All of that work is so that he can wash you clean as snow. Your purpose is to be gracious to that resurrection power if you've accepted that. It would be like, say, I don't know, I turned 18, and my parents or some unknown benefactor gave me an entire house, a car, and enough money to live on for the rest of my life. And I was like, okay, thanks. And then I just, just sat there enjoying what they gave me. Didn't even think about them ever again. Who were they? No. You would, I would never, I would, I would, I don't know. I'd try to get it back. I'd try to give everything back because I don't deserve that. I know I don't deserve that. Some might even feel wrong that we didn't earn that by the strength of our own backs. It was given to us. And that can be a pride thing. But the gift that God has laid upon us as believers is greater than that could ever be. The death you face in hell is obliterated by the blood of Christ. Gone. Removed. And that has always been his purpose. From the dawning of time, he gave us a choice. Choose to go against me or choose to be with me. In the back of his head, he's saying, I know what they're going to do. I know how they're going to choose. But I want them to have that choice. And I want them to see that I'm better. And so from the moment that Apple was bitten into, Christ began his plan, his purpose. The Israelites had the exact same purpose. The, every one of the Pharisees and Sadducees should have had the same purpose. They had the same goal and they turned against it. He rectified this by his resurrection in 22, in verse 22, in his body of flesh by his death. For what? To present us holy and blamelessly, able to work for the cause, able to pay God back for what he's done. Now, you can't pay him back as, oh, eventually my debt is filled and I can stop working for God. But we should be honored to pay back what Christ has given us. We should be honored to return an impossibly small amount back to God compared to what he gave to us. We can now fulfill the full purpose, and that's in verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. The purpose is to continue in steadfast faith. The task of sharing the gospel to the earth. And what really strikes me is this is the dawn of the new Christian church. This is the dawn of evangelical Christianity. And Paul is already saying it has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. The whole earth, everything he has dominion over, rulers and nations and lives are already proclaiming the grace of God. We just are tuned to not hear it sometimes. Whitney and I love to draw the analogy of going into nature and seeing God. You ever seen a sunset on a beach? 
and you're thinking, how on earth can God be this good? You ever hike two, three miles straight uphill, and you think there's no way this is going to be worth it? It's hot, I'm sweaty, my feet hurt, there's no way this is worth it. You get to the end, and it's a more gorgeous waterfall than you've ever seen. And you see something that you, your eyes can't even fully grasp. That creation is saying God has dominion. God has authority. He has the power. So when you come back to your workplace after that time, after all that seeing that, you can answer those emails. You can sit on that production line. You can sit and realize that he had dominion over that. He has dominion over me here. And he has always worked for my good because I trust him. And what's the most remarkable thing about this is just by accepting that and living your life like that, people will notice and try to talk to you about it. And that might be the scariest part of all for some of us. I can't tell you how many times in the, my place of work that I'll just be chilling, sitting, doing my job beside some people, and they'll just start up a conversation with me about Christ. Not even like, oh, we started here and we worked around to Christ. No, they're right out the gate. I've never spoken to them in my life. And part of me is like, yeah, cool. The other half of me is like, no, that's terrifying. Where did that come from? The plan, the purpose was laid out because he has gone before us, right? He has gone before us in every step we've ever taken. He has already laid the work out. We simply step forward. It is our purpose. So how does, this, how does this all help answer the question in the first place? Why do I feel stuck in a rut? Lost in where I should go, what I should do. I have a life change happening. What should I do? What am I doing it all for? What is the purpose? The purpose God has always intended is relationship with him and spreading the love we feel that Christ bestows upon us. Spreading that grace in our jobs in our meetings, in our friendships, hobbies, tasks. The underlying flow is to share Christ in it all. The kids who come to a BBS, there's four or five of them. Instead of bemoaning that we only had four or five, what if the entire church poured into that one child? Not overwhelm them, not freak them out, but intentionally found where they could pour into this child. And maybe through that child they pour into the family. Maybe that one coworker that always sits by themselves at lunch. Or maybe they go to their car and eat. Maybe you just say, hey, why don't you eat with me today? It might make your humdrum desk life a little bit better because you have conversation and relationship and fellowship with somebody who might need the grace you possess. One of the greatest messages I ever heard was from a camp pastor at Crossings. And he was speaking to teenagers. And the teenagers, you know, they don't pay attention. They laugh. They're thinking about all sorts of other things. They really don't care. And he stopped them. And he looked them dead in the eye and he said, listen, this is not a game. And it shut them all up completely. They were blown away that somebody would be taking the message of Christ this seriously. And I'm not here to sit and... and make you feel so burdened and overcome by God's grace, by, oh, I have this task now. It's worse. I was just lost. Now I have a big task I don't know how to do. That's not the point. The point is that he has already enabled you to do that. He's gone before you. He controls it all. He has dominion over it all. 
Let that flow into your life, and it will reinvigorate you. It will power us all up. It's like the red shell in Mario. You know, when you hit it and he gets really big, and then he can run wherever he wants? It's the whole point. When we realize this and we commit to it, it's empowering. It's bigger than ourselves. Have you ever been to a concert with just an overwhelmingly large amount of people? Most of us don't. Most of us can attend some concerts that are pretty big. Very few of us go to like a Super Bowl-sized concert. Just thousands of people. And you realize, I am one dot in millions. And you feel so small, like this whole place is so much bigger than you. Now imagine, across the globe, how many actual points of light are believers that God is shining his power through, shining his grace through. If you could look across a map and see every single light of a believer, we, we, could, we couldn't fathom it. We're so focused sometimes on our little circles to realize that the project, the work, is so much bigger than ourselves. It's global. And that's empowering to me. I know there are people in China huddled in a basement, hiding from the police, praying that I speak this message worthy of God. How humbling is that? That somebody is risking their life to pray for me in this moment. How could I ever refuse? And that's not just me. It's every one of us. I'm, there's a, I'll make the story super short because it, it's a long one. But missionary went to China. All the Chinese Christians went to a monastery. They're praying. They're learning. The guy, the missionary from America, tells them the state of the American church. And they all look so sad because he's like, they're not really doing hot. We've seen declines. We've seen churches shut down. It's, it's kind of rough. He goes to bed. He wakes up the next morning. Everyone is wailing crying, screaming. He thinks they've been caught. He thinks the police have busted in. They're arresting people. They're shooting people. It's horrible. And he rushes out into the courtyard and the missionary that was with him is just kind of standing there watching all these people on the ground crying. And he's like, okay, what's going on? He said, they're praying for the American church. He said, what? He said, they heard what you said. They, they heard that it's not that great over there. And they're just praying. What devotion is that? And where can I get it? To be moved to tears that people could come to Christ and be saved from death. That's the point. Die eternal separation or raise to life with Christ. We must never forget that. I want to go back to the book of Job. Because I'm pretty sure, I'm nearly entirely confident that no one in here has it as bad as Job did. Yet he still believed in God's purpose. Let's look at gold. Let's look at Job. Job 42.2 I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Now you have to understand the context of Job here for a second to realize how powerful that is. He has just got his rear end completely handed to him by Elihu, his friend, followed by God himself, setting him back on the right path because he had been groping, or I mean griping and complaining and grumbling against God. And Elihu said, look, 
God has only ever worked for good, and you better get your stuff together, and we're going to move through this. And then to back Elihu up, God spoke directly to Job and said, yeah, he's right, only I'm God. And you have no right to complain. And this is his only reaction. He has just got scolded like a child. And the very first thing he says is, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. He resigned himself to this fact that no purpose of God could ever be stopped. He has dominion, right? He has authority over all things invisible and invisible. I want to leave with one final piece of this puzzle, one final piece of encouragement in Ephesians 2.10. Let's read this here together. For we are his worksmanship, Christ, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk with him. You don't need any more convincing. You don't need any more words. You don't need any more explanation. Read that again. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good work. Not for burnout, not for worry, not for upsetness, not for con like concentration on things that aren't of God. We are created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's not like he gave you an entire bunch of tools and said, put this tool cabinet together. He said, oh, I've already separated out all the tools you need. I've separated all the parts out. I've put instructions on each little packet of parts. Follow the steps, and you'll put the thing together. I did all the work for you. All you have to do is put it together. That's literally what he's telling us today. Tr love thy neighbor as thyself. Treat others with kindness. Lean into God in everything, and it all falls into place. And we forget that. I forget that. I've been struggling with that a lot recently. Where do I even go? What am I built for? What am I made for? And yes, I'm up here, and I believe this is a gift. I believe this is something I could never waste. I want to be up here. But where do I go? Even then, knowing that truth, the devil still seeps doubt into my brain and tells me that maybe I shouldn't be up here. So I run to him. It's the only thing you can do. It's the only thing I can do. He has set these things in motion long before us. If we believe and we walk with him daily, fulfilling the gospel message, that is our purpose. That is the reason we arise out of bed. We can take pride in that fact. Take pride in God and his work in our daily lives. Now that might not make the next time you go into work just drastically better. This message might not just turn your whole outlook around on the where you have to be Monday through Thursday or Friday. But maybe, maybe, when, the, when you wake up, you're a little more hopeful. You're a little closer. Maybe I'm a little closer to realizing that I'm in the spot God designed. And it's beautiful and it's glorious. He has the authority to set the whole world to his purpose and reconcile us to his grace to fulfill that purpose, no matter where or who we are takes faith and trust, and we have a glorious mission. And maybe if I'm sitting at work and I just can't do my work, maybe if I'm sitting at work and I just, I just have no motivation, I need to go out and find somebody to talk to God about. 
Brother Peter talks about all the time, one of the story. I can't remember the pastor, shame on me, I know. But the one who ran to the train at the last point of the night in the pouring rain because he hadn't told somebody the message of Christ. And the person on the train just broke down because he needed it. And it was like 11 o'clock at night in the pouring rain. And this pastor charges out because he has to tell somebody before the night's over. How beautiful would that be if we embody that each and every day? The boldness. No fear. We can rest in the peace that we can operate with him as the authority and the guide and the God of all creation. For he put everything together. You making sense? Figuring it out? I'm trying to figure it out. That's the whole process of sanctification. Moving step by step towards God. I want to thank Smithfield for giving me this opportunity. I am learning every day. I'm learning about myself. I'm learning about my marriage. I'm learning about this church. I'm learning about God every single day because of the stuff you all allow me and the stuff we do as a church. And I'm trying to soak every ounce of that in and grow into somebody like my grandfather's. Grow into somebody that knew what Christ was like. Thank you all for giving me that opportunity, and I pray that none of us waste that opportunity on ourselves. We are a fellowship. We are a body. And if we are acting like we truly believe God can change lives, he will change lives. And he's going to do it with or without us. We just need to jump on the train. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we love you more than we should ever love anything else. And that can be hard sometimes. That can be something that isn't necessarily easy to place you above everything in our lives. But you are the purpose. You are the goal. When we face burnout, when we face fear, when we face things that we don't understand or we feel lost, you are the purpose. You gave us grace to wake up every day. We need to share that with the people around us. I need to share it with the people around me. We don't have to be afraid you're the ruler of all dominions and authorities. The grace you've given us is for your purpose. Go with us each day, each moment, each second that we are serving you above all else, that I serve you above everything in my life. We should be willing to give it all to you because you gave it all to us. You are the great God of all things. I love you. I believe in you. Pray that we believe in you as a church and that we can move forward in a way that you see we are ready to serve you and serve our community. We are ready, our King. Use us. Take us with you wherever you go. We love you and we pray all these things in your more than holy and blessed name. Amen.